Praise the Lord. If you brought a Bible, go with me, please, to the book of Proverbs. Two chapters. Uh, we're going to read from two different chapters out of the same book, book of Proverbs, chapter 10 and chapter 23. As we continue our sermon series on expecting. How many of you are expecting? The Bible said that faith is the substance of things that we are expecting and the evidence of things not seen. This morning, I want to share with you from these two portions of Scripture a truth that we find in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10 and verse 28. It reads, The expectation of the just is gladness, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. I'm going to read that again. The expectation of the just is gladness, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. And then go to Proverbs 23, just a few pages away, chapter 23 and verse 18. And it reads, Surely there is a future, and your expectation will never be cut off. I've got to say that again. Surely there is a future, and your expectation will never be cut off. Father, I thank you for the word of God, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God this morning. And I pray that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that as they hear the word, they might receive it into their hearts and bear fruit in their lives. I ask that in Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to use for a subject the expectation of the just. The expectation of the just. As we discuss expecting, and we talk about this great season of uh, Christmas, and we reflect on the story uh, of the way that Christ came into the world, we find that Christmas is really a season of great expectation. We saw last week that the expectation of the believer, the faith of the believer is proof that God is bringing about a work in their life. When you are expecting something from God, you begin to prepare yourself. You begin to uh, put things in order in order to receive those things which God has promised to your life. And I want to share with you about the great hope and the great expectation of the just. The Bible says that the expectation of the just is gladness, but the wicked will be cut off. There is a difference between those who serve God and those who reject God. There is a difference between those who fear the Lord and those who do not fear God. It doesn't matter how good a man or woman is at business or at, at uh, finance or at life or at education. If they don't fear the Lord, they don't have any wisdom. Because the Bible said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We also read that surely there is a future for the just. Now that's good news for some of you this morning because you have been faced with some difficulties and some challenges in life. Maybe you have been faced with a dark financial situation. I want to tell you this morning, surely there is a future. 
Maybe you have been given a dark diagnosis by a doctor and it seems as though you have very little hope for your health, but I'm here to tell you, surely there is a future. You might have received some bad news from your family. Maybe the, the situation of your home life has come to a place of deterioration, but I'm here today to tell you on the authority of God's Word, surely there is a future. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with some real gusto tell him, I have a future. And now turn around and tell the other guy, I have a future. There's great hope in that. And this is not just wishful thinking. This is God's word. You have God's word on it. The Bible tells us that the Lord told the nation of Israel that they would spend 70 years in Babylonian exile and captivity. He said, but I know the plans I have for you. I have a future and a hope for you. This is true for the church and it's true for you and I this morning. The Bible tells us about the just and as we look throughout the pages of scripture, we find that there are men that God sets apart as being just. There are many just and righteous people in the Bible, but only a handful of them are ever said to be just. One of the first, of course, is Abel. The Bible calls him righteous. It calls Abel just. You look at Noah. The Bible says that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. How would you like that engraved on your gravestone? Perfect. Guys, if you're nice enough, I'm sure your wife will put that on your tombstone. Perfect. Noah was righteous, perfect in all of his generation. The Bible tells us about Job, who the Lord said to Satan, he said, have you considered my servant Job? Man, so righteous and so upright in his, in his position that God himself recognized him. We see, we see the Bible calls Daniel, the great prophet, a just man. We come into the New Testament. We find an old man named Simeon who waited at the temple for the coming of the Messiah. And the Bible says that he was a just man. In the book of Acts, we read about my namesake, Cornelius, the Gentile, who the Bible calls him a righteous man, a just man. There's another man that we read about, and he's part of the Christmas story that the Bible calls him just. He was, uh, he, he doesn't get a whole lot of lines in the Christmas play. You know, generally, this man is not the top of the list of sermons that you will hear. We always hear about Mary, and we hear about the wise men, and we hear about Joseph, and from time to time, we even hear about the donkey, even though really the Bible never mentions Joseph and Mary traveling by donkey, but we always hear about the donkey. But here you have a man who, his name is Joseph, and God chose this man to raise his son. Think about that. What an honor to be the man God chose to be his son's stepfather. I imagine God scouring the earth, scouring the nation of Israel, looking for someone in the bloodline of David that he could give the responsibility of raising the Messiah. This would be no ordinary child. He could have no ordinary upbringing. He must be brought up to fear God and to know the Lord. And God chooses a just man named Joseph. He chooses a man who is upright. What does it mean to be just? 
To be just is to live a blameless life. To, to have the kind of character where you always seek to have a good testimony and a right standing before men. A just man walks uprightly before God and before his peers. He speaks the truth even when it hurts him. A just man rejects gossip and lies and he does the right thing when no one is watching. A just man protects his family and he protects his church and his testimony. A just man fears God and keeps his word and honors his commitments and does what he says he'll do. A just man doesn't cheat on his clients or take bribes, but rather he defends the innocent. And God puts a premium premium on being just. The Bible said that God favors the just. If you want to have the favor of God, you must live a just life. The Bible says, what does God demand of you but that you love mercy and do justice? That is the simple requirement of God upon your life and my life today. That we do mercy, that we love mercy and do justice. That we live a just life. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that an unjust scale is an abomination to the Lord. Generally, when you see a statue of justice, you see justice holding scales in her hands. That leads us to believe that justice has a a just scale. That justice handles the issues properly. That measures the situation and gives a just decree. And yet in the days of scripture there were many who had unjust scales. They used means of robbery in order to skim a little off the top. And to cheat a little here and there. And I find that not much has changed in our day. It can be difficult to be just. It's a hard thing sometimes to do the right thing when nobody is watching. To hurt yourself when nobody is going to know the difference. And yet God puts a great premium on being just. I have found that sometimes we can be unjust without realizing it. We're unjust in the way that we criticize and critique other people. Sometimes we're unjust in the way that we handle certain matters and certain situations. We act with favoritism. A, a mother and father may be unjust by favoring one child above the other. A, a father may be unjust by, by not giving his children the, the, the same type of discipline and the same type of nurturing. This happens often in our homes. Sometimes I'll hear people criticize a parent, a group of parents, for not handling their toddler better, but they haven't had any kids themselves. And you gotta wait a little while because sometimes the, the uh, things that seem so easy right now when you're in the middle of it aren't as easy as they look. Sometimes I'll hear people criticize a teenager and say, look at how they dress. Look at their hairdo. What, what kind of style is that? But you see, your teenager is still a toddler. And someday your toddler is going to become a teenager and do things that you're going to wonder about. And you're going to say, oh, man, I shouldn't have spoken like I spoke. We say things like, oh, my, my family will never do that. My kids will never do that. I will never do that. And then a few years pass and you find yourself eating your words. It can be hard to be just. It can be hard to do the right thing and to do it for the right reason. 
Sometimes we might uh, criticize somebody who's collecting cans on the side of the road, saying, that'll never be me. I'll manage my money better until you're at Coinstar in the middle of the night making your change into money so you can pay the light bill. And God says, I love a just man, a just woman, someone who knows how to do the right thing and to see the right way through. And God chose just such a man for him, for his son to be raised by Joseph, a just man. But I tell you, it can be hard to be just because you would think that if you're just and if you're good and if you do the right things for the right reason, that you'll always get easy street. That you'll always get the best reward. That you'll always get the, 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 the favor and premium of men. But the reality is that often there are many afflictions for the righteous. Ask Job what it's like to be just when, when uh, you bury seven sons and three daughters in the same day. What does a just man do in that situation? What about Daniel who prayed and they still threw him in the lion's den? We like the kind of religion in America where you pray and you avoid the lion's den. But Daniel had the kind of religion where he prayed and he still ended up in the lion's den. It can be hard to be just. The Bible said that Joseph was a just man. And as I imagine Joseph, I see him as a, as a man who is espoused to the woman that he loves. Joseph is a Jewish man who has found a Jewish girl to marry. And things are looking up. They are planning a wedding. They are betrothed. They have the approval and blessing of their parents. And uh, I am sure that Mary is an excited bride and Joseph is an excited groom. Planning uh, the colors for the wedding and the, the wedding cake. And who's going to make the carne guisada? And they're, they're getting all the arrangements together. And your family and my family, and how many are we going to invite? And you know when we get together, we don't, we don't show up. We manifest. Anybody have a family like that? They don't visit. They manifest. And then one day, this righteous man, who the Bible tells us is of the house of David, in fact, he is a direct descendant of King David, which means that if the nation of Israel had not sinned and lost the Davidic line, that Joseph would be sitting on the throne. Royal blood flows through his veins. He doesn't just have a title, but he also has the character of a son of David. Let me tell you, church, just as a little way, a little segue here, titles don't make a man, character makes a man. You can be, you can have whatever title you want, but if you don't have any character, it isn't worth anything. What God is looking for in us is character, that we be men of character, men of value and worth before the eyes of a just God. Joseph had that character, and there they are in the excitement of a, of a, of a wedding preparation. And then uh, Mary comes to Joseph as maybe one day while he's preparing the house where they're going to live. And she comes over and she says, uh, Joseph, we need to talk. I hate that line. We need to talk. Sometimes people tell me that, and I'm thinking the worst, and they're, they're asking me if I can come by their house for lunch someday. <laughs> really? We need to talk. 
And he says, okay, tell me anything. He says, she says, uh, you might want to sit down for this. Oh, this is that kind of talk. So Joseph pulls a stool over and he sits down. And she says, well, um, I don't really know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant. You're what? I'm, I'm pregnant, Joseph. Well, you know we haven't been together, so who's the father? And in a moment, the righteous man's world comes crashing in. If he were an unjust man, we could say, just deserts is what he gets. But when it's a good man, it's hard to be just. Things that he had expected and and prayed for and longed for. And it seemed, this is the worst of it, I think. When you think that God has answered your prayer and the answer to your prayer turns out to be sand in your hands. You realize that many are indeed the afflictions of the righteous. He must have felt betrayed. He must have felt made a fool of, as though God himself had played a cruel, providential joke. How could I pray for something and you actually give it to me and then the thing I prayed for be a curse to me? What does a good man, a just man, have the right to expect from God? See, Joseph, uh, an angel came and told me that I was going to have a baby and the baby's going to be God's son. Mary, what kind of thing are you talking about? That's nowhere in the Torah. Moses never talked about anything like that. There's no basis for this. I don't understand it. I can, I can imagine the passion, the anxiety of the moment. The law of Moses gives Joseph a very direct and distinct answer to this problem. He says in in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy, if a man who is espoused to a woman finds her to be with child, he, before the wedding, that he has the right to bring her into the public square and have her stoned to death. Thank God that he chose a just man. Because although Joseph is in this dilemma, he finds himself, I think, ultimately in love with Mary. He doesn't want to put her away. He doesn't want her killed. And the Bible said that he had uh, had in mind to put her away privately, which literally means to divorce her privately. He's trying to find the, the biblical, the 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 godly way, the just way of handling this situation. And the Bible said that he was thinking on it. If you read the book of Matthew, it uses the word thinking. Literally the word implies that he was trying to resolve the problem, trying to resolve the matter in his mind. I dare say this morning that there are some of you who are thinking on something. 
Some of you are thinking about what you're going to have for lunch when Pastor Isaac wraps this up. But others of you are thinking about which job do I take or which house do we buy? How do I, how do I get this kid who's rebelling, rebelling against me to see the right? And you're, you're thinking through whether or not you're going to marry this person or whether or not you're going to see it through with the commitments that you've made. And you're thinking and, and trying to resolve that issue. And friend, I'm here to tell you this is the first expectation of the righteous, that when the righteous is in that kind of problem, you can expect God to speak. I said you can expect God to speak. The Bible tells us that if we will call upon him, he will answer us. And he will show us great and mighty things which we know not. Oh, I don't know about you, but I need to hear from God. There are some days when I don't know whether to go right or left. I need to hear from God. And one word from God is worth more to me than a thousand lawyers and a thousand judges and a thousand politicians. One word from God can solve the matter and and dissolve the issue. Somebody say, speak to me, Lord. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Speak to me, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this problem. I don't know how to see this. I feel as though you have betrayed me. I feel as though you have been unjust to me. I don't, I don't know where to go from here. I need you to speak to me today. I need you to come through. And friend, the Bible tells us that if we will seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. While he was thinking it over, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, fear not, Joseph. That's God's word for you this morning. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not, Kingsway. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but fear not. They may be laying off everybody else, but God says, fear not. You may be finding yourself at the bottom of your solution, of your situation, but God says, fear not. Fear not, Joseph, for this thing is from God. This is God's doing. And he begins to reveal to Joseph the very thing that he has revealed to Mary. And now it's no longer Mary's idea, but this is now Joseph's idea. You see, friend, there is no faith as real as the faith you get for yourself. That faith that comes revealed to you from God alone. There you can go a little while on somebody else's faith. You can go a little while on mama's faith and on daddy's faith and on granddaddy's faith. But there comes a day where you've got to have some faith for yourself. There comes a day when you have to hear from God for yourself. The Bible said faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You know the word uh, that is used for word there in that phrase in Romans is literally the word rhema in, uh, in the Greek which implies that there are two types of, of words. When the Bible's talking about itself, it talks about itself as the logos and it talks about itself as the rhema. The logos is the written word of God. But the rhema is when God breathes on the written word and speaks right to your need. And 
And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the Logos breathed upon by God and speaking right to my need. That's the kind of preaching that you need. The kind that speaks right to the heart of the matter from the very breath and nostrils of the living God. When that, when that revelation comes in, when it becomes rhema, nobody can pry it out of your hands. You can go all day saying, pastor said, pastor said, pastor said, but you get a big enough devil and you're going to forget what pastor said. But when you know what you know that you know that God has spoken, that God has given it to you, that God has promised, promised it to you, doesn't matter what devil stands in your way, you have a word from God. You have a promise from God and it's yours. Say, it's mine. Rhema. He's now got Rhema. I've got God's word breathed upon by God for me. It's a miracle how the logos, I'm preaching the logos right now, but as it reaches your ear, it becomes Rhema. I don't know how it does it. It's a mystery to me. I can't teach it in homiletics. They can't explain it at seminary. It is a mystery of Almighty God how He takes a dead written word and He breathes it like an arrow into your situation and He gives you hope and He gives you joy and He gives you peace. Come on, somebody, give God praise because He still speaks. Hallelujah. I need to hear from God. Say it again. Speak to me, Lord. Don't make any decisions. I don't mean pork chops or steak for lunch. You make that on your own. Because I'm trying to decide that right now. But don't make any decisions without saying, speak to me, Lord. And then God, give God your attention. And humble yourself. Give him time where you're quiet before him. And let him speak. Fear not, Joe. This is my doing. Joseph hears the word of God. He hears the angel's promise. And he believes it. And now he and Mary are expecting together. You see, sometimes you get frustrated. When the people in your life don't expect what you expect. What you need to do is ask God to speak to them. You see, if I feel God has said something to me, and then I say, Lord, I heard it. I get it now. I need you to speak to the elders. And once the elders and I have heard, then we say, Lord, we need you to speak to the congregation. And so you have to adopt that practice in your home life, in your family life. If, if you're the husband of the home and you have a direction you think God wants you to go in, you need to say, Lord, speak to her. And then don't start dropping hints, okay? Just let God speak. You don't have to whisper subliminally in his ear while he's sleeping. We need a new house. Three bedrooms. And you give them the address in the street, right? 
You say, God, you speak. Because when God speaks, now your faith and their faith comes together and you're both expecting. And the scripture says that where two or three are together, are in agreement, as touching anything, they begin to pray in agreement. Now, God says, I'll be in their midst. Say it again. Speak to me, Lord. He answers the call. He takes the woman and the child. Now, we think, oh, great. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. But, you know, that's not the end of the story. The whole life of Joseph will be a life where people are going to constantly be snickering about the fact that Mary was with child before marriage. He's not just taking on a momentary burden, but this will be the burden for his whole life. He will not have the privilege of calling this boy the name that he wishes, but rather God has instructed him what to call this child. It is a parent's zeal to call their son. And God doesn't give Joseph the privilege. He says, this boy will be named Jesus. I'll tell you a little story about our church. Our church was known, it was called for several years, probably about 40 years, Monte del Olivar Christian Church. And then one day in prayer, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Kingsway Church. I said, where's that? He said, that's the name of the church. I said, Lord, if I change the name of this church, they will fire me. Hey, both you and I will be out of a job. How do you like that? I started thinking about it. And then I talked myself out of it. I said, no, I like my job. And you know, I carried, it's, it's ironic, but I carried that name around by myself for nine months. I talked myself out of it. I said, I'm not doing it. If you want this church to be named that, you should have told Pastor Ramos because I'm not going to do that. <laughs> then one day I'm at a conference, and of all things, the pastor is speaking on this, the, the minister is speaking on this topic, and he says, God gave Joseph the name for his son. And Ramah happened. This is what God said. He said, are you going to give this the name I gave it or not? That was my ultimatum. God was saying to me, if you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. I don't care if you fire me, but God and I are going to be on terms, all right? I said, yes, Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing the name that you gave it. And Joseph, isn't that? precarious situation but you see as he takes the child and he gives him the name and he starts raising the boy and he's living with Mary we realize that God never gives you a burden without giving you the grace to carry it so the righteous can not only expect to hear from God but he can also expect the grace to carry the burden that God puts upon his life 
You can expect God to help you to shield the weight of this burden and responsibility, whatever it may be. For you can remember what God is saying. He will never put more on you than you can bear. He says with every temptation, he will provide a way of escape. With every burden, church, he will provide the means to bear it. Sometimes I wonder at people. I wonder how God can put so much on one person, and yet I see the grace of God to bear that that responsibility right here in our very own congregation. We have a couple that in eight months buried two sons, and then a few months later, a couple months later, he was diagnosed with cancer, and, and they're going through treatment now. And I think about God, how could you put so much on one man or one family but I see the smile on his face I see the joy in his life I see his hands raised in the house of God and I see that God will give you the grace to bear whatever thing is going to come your way remember that he says my grace is sufficient for you that grace is sufficient for you Whatever it is that you have to go through, God will give you grace enough. It may be a lost son, a lost daughter. It may be a lost job. It may be a season of losses. But I'm here today to tell you that for every season of losses, there is a season of God's grace. There is a season of God's provision, a season of God's faithfulness. Surely there is a future. I said, surely there is a future. And finally, we see that not only did he receive the grace necessary to carry this out, but God gave to Joseph his own children. If you read out the Gospels, you will find that Joseph and Mary had children after Jesus. He had several sons and daughters. And this lets us know that when you and I put God first, we can expect God to give us our own. For he has said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all of these other things will be added unto you. You see, we have a promise from God. We have this assurance from God that he will give us what is ours if we will put him first. If we will take care of his call and his purpose in our life, God says, I'll take care of you. You'll never have to worry about God doing his part if you will do yours. I read a story once about a little boy and a little girl. She had a bag of candy. He had a bag of marbles. And they said, how about we trade? She said, okay. And he went back in the back and he, took out some candy from the bag. He said, all right, here you go. All the candy for all the marbles. They traded. That night, the little girl slept quietly in her bed, and the little boy had his eyes wide open. I wonder if she gave me all the marbles. You see, friend, when you put God first, you don't have to worry about whether he's keeping any of the marbles. He will do his part. 
He will honor his commitment. He will always keep his word. I'm standing before you as an absolute testimony of this fact. I began to preach at the age of seven. That means that fun left my life really early. My whole life has been dedicated to the preaching of the gospel. I was licensed to preach at the age of 14. I have known nothing but Jesus, nothing but the gospel. And I can tell you this, that every time the enemy has come around to tell me that I have wasted my time, I can tell you that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That if you will give God what is his, God will take care of you. You see, we have it backwards in our day. We want God to give us our share first. And we say, God, if you give me my share, I'll give you yours. God says, no. I must be first. You honor me, I'll honor you. You put me first. You'll never have to wonder about whether or not I'm putting you first. God is good. God is good. He is just. He is the absolute greatest accountant. And if you will honor him with your life, he'll honor you with his life. I want to say just for a moment to these the young people in this congregation, don't ever think twice about giving God your time, your talent, or your treasure. I curse every lie that is said to you that if you do that, you're wasting your time. Friend, you can't waste your time with God. You can waste your time with every other thing, but you won't waste your time with God. Joseph got what was his because he honored God. He put him first. If you will indulge me just for a moment or two more, I need to tell you about another just man in the Bible. This was the man that Joseph was called to raise. For you see, he existed in eternity past as a member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one of them stepped into time. The Son of God became a man. Conceived in the womb of a little virgin named Mary. Unbeknownst to her, without any, without any provocation at all, she became the centerpiece of divine choice in human accusation. From her was born the purest man who ever lived. Because of the virgin birth, he was unstained by the seed of Adam. He had no trace of Adam's DNA. The sin nature was not in him. He knew no fall or fault. His lips never uttered a single lie. His hands never took a bribe. His eyes never cast undue judgment. His feet never ran after shame. He was arrested by scoundrels, tried by sinners, accused by liars, condemned even though the judge said, I find no fault in him. He bore the name Jesus, which meant he will save his people from their sins. 
He would do this by living a sinless and perfect life. And though he knew no sin, he became sin for us on the cross because the Bible says that there is not one righteous, not even one. For you see, the Bible says that not even Job or Daniel or Noah with their righteousness could have saved themselves. Not one righteous, not even one. And so this righteous man, Jesus, came and he lived that sinless life in absolute perfection before men for 33 years. He was, he was seen and inspected by men in his righteousness. The Bible calls him Jesus Christ, the just. And as he hung upon that cross, God took the wrath that he that was due the sinner and he placed it upon the saint. He took the justice that was due the sinner and he placed it upon the just so that the just might justify the unjust. And on that cross, he died. Not in old age like Abraham and Noah. But he died in the very prime of life at 33 years old, giving up the ghost, and the just man was dead. His torn body was taken from the cross. Wrapped in sorrow and despair, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. The thrill ride was over. The hope of the righteous had come to an end. It's hard to be just sometimes. The first day passed. The expectation of the righteous had died. The second day passed. And the hope of the righteous had faded away. But on the third day, the dark of despair gave way to the dawn of hope. As the ground began to shake. And the stone that had been placed over the tomb was rolled away and the cold dead body of God's son came to life. And the righteous man is alive. I said he is alive. He is alive to prove the expectation of the righteous. For the Bible says do not gloat over the righteous when he falls for though he fall he will rise again. The expectation of the righteous is gladness. The expectation of the righteous is joy. The expectation of the righteous is the relationship with Almighty God because Jesus Christ the righteous became unrighteousness on our behalf and He is our perfect sinless Savior. Surely there is a future. Surely there is a future. Come on, somebody, let those words get down in your heart. Surely there is a future. Look at the darkest night of your life, and you can know. Surely there is a future. Our God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ever expect. Somebody give God praise in his house. You ought to be asking a question this morning. How can I be just? How can I be just, preacher? I'll tell you how, friend. There's only one way to be just. 
That is to be saved. To put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. To find that he is both the just and the justifier of those who who come to God through him. Would you stand with me, please? Bow your head if you would. Just make some room in your life today for God to speak. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who does not know you as their Savior, I pray that today they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let them know that there is a future. That they can be made right with God. They can have their life healed and turned around. That that is possible only through Jesus Christ, the just. I pray today that hope would rise up in their hearts. In the believing and the knowing that today your love is toward them. And you're calling them to yourself. Out of love. That your grace is unending. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.